On February 9, 1909, the Middletown Valley Register, a newspaper in Maryland, ran the following letter written by T.C. Herbage of Castown, Ohio. A gigantic monster passed over this place last night about six o'clock. It was plainly visible, had two immense bronze-like objects as wings, an enormous head from which horns protruded, and a tail 20 feet long. It emitted a noise like the screech of an octolopus. Some who saw it declared it to be a snallygaster. Even though the creature sounded too bizarre to be real, sightings of the feared snallygaster have appeared in newspapers throughout the decades. The stories inspired news organizations, revered museums, and even a president of the United States to seek concrete evidence of the creature. Known for appearing during turbulent times in United States history, the snallygaster is truly a strange phenomenon. It was February 12, 1909, when the Middletown Valley Register wrote of a horrific encounter with a beast that would put the area into national consciousness. Patrick Boynton, author of Snallygaster, The Lost Legend of Frederick County, recounted these initial stories. Snallygaster was spotted by a man named Bill Gifferson, who was uh, walking along a country road uh, one evening when a winged beast swooped down from the night sky and uh, snatched him up, pierced his neck with its beak, and uh, tossed his lifeless body over a cliff. So I'm not sure if Mr. Gifferson counts as an eyewitness because he didn't live to tell the tale, but that's the first recorded Snallygaster victim and the first time the Snallygaster appears in the newspaper. Um, And following the initial story, there were a series of articles that appeared in the register uh, and surrounding papers about additional sightings in the area. Uh, There was a man named uh, George Jacobs, who was out hunting the Snallygaster. And uh, when the beast came down from the sky and Jacobs shot at it, uh, but apparently the bullet rattled off its hide as if hitting an iron plate. And the man uh, narrowly escaped into a barn. Uh, So it was a happier ending for him than uh, Bill Gifferson, for sure. Another eyewitness told the Middletown Valley Register that not only had they seen its nest, but it had laid an egg as large as a barrel and was covered with a tough parchment-like shell of yellowish color. This egg was not far away, in the mountains between Gapland and Burkittsville. Unfortunately, he was never able to locate the exact spot again. With each day came new sightings, stirring the area into a frenzy, its appearance truly terrifying. Around uh, 1909, when it first started, appearing in the uh, local newspaper. It was uh, described as a uh, winged dragon-like creature. In addition to its wings, it was described as having a needle-like beak and uh, four legs armed with steel claws, um, like hooks, and a single eye in the middle of its forehead. And it was also reported to emit a screech like a locomotive whistle. Many of the locals began to draw a series of hexes on their doors in an effort to ward off the beast from entering their home, a tradition that many Pennsylvania Dutch still practice today.
a local resident wrote to the Smithsonian Institute to try and solve the question of what was preying on their town. The Hagerstown Mail published the Smithsonian's reply. It is either a winged bovolopus or a snallygaster, as it has some of the characteristics of both. These animals are exceedingly rare, and the hide of the snallygaster is said to be worth $100,000 a square foot, as it is the only thing that is known that will properly polish punkle shells used by Africans for ornaments. Telegrams and letters are pouring in from naturalists, and a strict watch is being kept to try and locate the den or roost. With public interest reaching a fever pitch, the story eventually made its way to the most well-known big-game hunter in the country, President Theodore Roosevelt. Teddy Roosevelt was in his last weeks of office, and when the Snallygaster stories made their way down to D.C., there were reports that the Smithsonian Institution wanted to capture it alive. Uh, so it didn't take long before President Roosevelt himself expressed interest in hunting down the beast. Of course, Teddy was already known for his big game prowess, so it would have made perfect sense to readers at the time. So Roosevelt, as I mentioned, was in the last weeks of his presidency, and he was planning a trip to Africa to hunt big game. And his African safari dominated the papers. So it was big news, much more interesting than the incoming president-elect Taft, which nobody seemed real excited about. Everybody loved Teddy Roosevelt, and I, I think the papers wanted to continue talking about him even, even as he was getting ready to leave office. I love the idea of Teddy Roosevelt hunting the Snallygaster because he's already a mythic figure in his own right. So it really captures that turn-of-the-century America to have these two legends kind of battling it out. A subscriber of The Register wrote, During the past winter, I read with much interest in the columns of the Valley Register, your very entertaining description of the monster, which had made its appearance in the state. At that time, and which you were pleased to term as a snallygaster, Boapolis, or Go-Devil. Believing that many readers of your valuable paper would be pleased to have a more definite information relating to the animal, as to its origin, size, appearance, etc., with your kind permission, I will gladly endeavor to supply the same. The letter went on to describe the snallygaster as part of an ancient species that lived deep within the bowels of the earth. It reported that a large earthquake in Italy had set the snallygaster free. Soon after, the snallygaster was first seen on South Mountain, east of Crothersville, Indiana, and near Burkittsville, Maryland. A group of men had come upon the layer in the mountain when they heard a noise like the steam calliope or the wailing of lost souls. The team followed the noise, but was stopped when a wall of fire erupted in their path, which did not subside until the morning. They returned to find the earth split open, and the snallygaster rose from the crevice. It looked like a cross between a jackass, a hyena, a baboon, and the devil, having a forked tail, immense horns, cloven hoofs, fiery eyes, and a screech like a steam siren, and in size equaling an elephant. They watched as it flew over the Potomac River and returned the next morning, its horns gory with blood, evidencing the fact that it had secured another victim. On March 6, 1909, the Emmitsburg Chronicle published a story claiming that the reign of the Snallygaster was over. Western Maryland Railway employee Ed Brown heard a large commotion in the coal bin. He discovered that some coal was missing, 
and as he searched for the thief, the Snallygaster flew from above, grabbed him by his suspenders, and took off with Mr. Brown dangling from its talons. Another local, Bill Snyder, had just pulled up in his car around the same time and took off on foot after his dangling friend. Snyder was able to latch on to Mr. Brown, and after a brief struggle, they freed him from the Snallygaster's clutches. The Snallygaster reared back and shot fire from its nostrils while it flapped its ghost-like wings. It took off for Emmitsburg, and the men pursued it, forming a mob along the way. The Middletown Valley Register had a description of the final confrontation with the Snallygaster. It said, John Glass, who was returning from a sale at Bridgeport, where he had purchased a well, threw the newly acquired well at Snallygaster, and the well passed over the huge snout, and where it was lasting in the woods of West Haneytown, it wore it like a nose ring. That was the last known sighting of the Snallygaster published in the news. Not long after, peace returned to Maryland. It was a truly bizarre end to an unbelievable story. Largely because it should not have been believed. The story had been completely made up. In the late 1800s and early 1900s, hoaxes and myth-making were incredibly popular in American newspapers. However, by 1909, most newspapers had dropped their made-up stories in favor of serious journalistic integrity. But despite the growth of newspaper sales, the Middletown Valley Register circulation was dwindling. George C. Roderick Sr., the editor of the paper, and Ralph S. Wolfe, a staff writer, are largely credited with starting the tales of the Snallygaster. It is difficult to say if they actually invented the Snallygaster, since its physical description and linguistic origins have roots in folklore of the German immigrants who settled the area. From 1812 to 1814, the War of the Sixth Coalition waged on. These were some of the final battles of the French Revolutionary and the Napoleonic Wars. The Germans were worried about being conscripted into the Prussian army. With the War of 1812 coming to a close, America saw a huge influx of Germans immigrating to the U.S. In the early 1820s, Baltimore, Maryland became the number two port of entry for immigrants, only behind Ellis Island in New York City. By 1850, 20,000 German immigrants lived in Baltimore and were the largest immigrant group in the city. Well, based on my research, Snallygaster and its description as a flying winged creature probably comes close to dragon folklore. And of course, there's a lot of uh, dragon folklore in uh, Germany. But in uh, 1876, there was a widow from Washington Society. Her name was uh, Madeline uh, Dahlgren. And she purchased an old inn on uh, South Mountain in Washington County, uh, and that neighbors Frederick County. Well, she turned the, uh, the inn into her, her private residence, her summer residence. Uh, so she was a writer, and she had uh, started collecting folklore and legends uh, from the locals who uh, lived on the mountain. And she published these legends in a book called uh, South Mountain Magic. Uh, it's a great book. It's still in print, by the way. And it's filled with all these crazy stories about like werewolves and hoop snakes. Uh, hoop snakes are these snakes that move by biting their own tail and rolling around like a tire. Uh, so they're really crazy and uh, just really, really great stories. And um, she doesn't mention the word Snallygaster in South Mountain Magic, but um, Madeline Dahlgren does talk a lot about uh, ghost stories and poltergeists. And in my early research, I discovered that uh, Snallygaster may be a mispronunciation of 
Schneilgeister, which is itself a corruption of the German term, Schneilgeist or quick spirit. So in the Pennsylvania Dutch tradition, the quick spirit is responsible for things being knocked off shelves and moving around, uh, sort of like a, a poltergeist we would think of. Uh, so the Snellgaster actually could have started out as a ghost story. So Snellgaster might be an amalgam of traditional ghost story and dragon lore. In addition to Schnellgeist, much of the story of the Snellgaster comes from the idea of the wild hunt in German folklore. In the essay, The Folklore of the Wild Hunt, it says, The motif of the living person who was picked up by the horde and carried somewhere else is particularly common in Germany and in Norway. In Pomerania, doors are closed against the hunter to keep children from being carried off. In Bohuslan, it was said that Odin fares up into the air and takes creatures and children with him. At the time of the Snallygaster articles, a similar monster that is widely known today was attacking, leading many to believe that the stories both have similar origins. As soon as I started reading about the Snallygaster, I realized that there were these parallels between the Snallygaster and, and the New Jersey Devil, and I had you know, heard stories about the New Jersey Devil growing up. Uh, so I went back to an old book I had on the Jersey Devil, and there was a big rash of sightings, and lo and behold, uh, they happened just weeks before the, uh, the Snallygaster stories started to emerge. Uh, but the similarities didn't, and there uh, they both shared similar physical characteristics as far as having wings and talons. Uh, they were both referred to as jabberwocks, uh, which of course comes from the Lewis Carroll poem about a fierce creature. Uh, so if you're inclined to believe the stories, you can surmise that the Jersey Devil traveled south and is the same creature as the Snallygaster. Certainly a lot of people have come to that conclusion. Or you could, you know, come to the conclusion that the Valley Register publishers ripped off the story from the New Jersey papers. And uh, I don't stress that connection too much because nobody likes to think of their hometown monster as, as being a knockoff of another monster. The true reason for the Snallygaster's arrival at this time was most likely political. The original article published in the Middletown Valley Register was titled, The Colored People Are in Great Danger. The victim, Bill Gifferson, was an African-American man. The article contains the line, This vampire devil only attacks colored people. It is seldom seen during the day, feeding at night only. And the strange part is that it seems to prefer colored men to colored women though it attacks the latter at times. It could not have been a coincidence that this article surfaced the very week that the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, or NAACP, was founded not far away in Baltimore. However, the articles didn't seem to be trying to scare African Americans out of Maryland. In fact, they seemed to be warning them of a much more frightening foe, politicians. One article said, Emmanuel Myers, a well-known colored man of Middletown, says that the report of a go-devil being seen in the valley don't bother him a bit. He says the only devil he is worried about is the Democratic Amendment next fall. He was speaking of the Strauss Amendment, a Democratic proposal intended to restrict the voting rights of African Americans. Take into account the American Heritage Dictionary defines the word Snollygoster as 1. 
especially a politician, who is guided by personal advantage rather than by consistent, respectable principles. And you can see the point that the publishers were making about the threat Democrats pose to the African-American community in Maryland. I believe that Roderick and Wolf uh, were using these Snallagasper stories in part to troll Democrats in a way and put a spotlight on the concerns of uh, voter suppression in the African-American community. And it seems to have worked because the Strauss Amendment was one of uh, three attempts to amend the state constitution to suppress the black vote, and uh, all three uh, were defeated by referendum. Even though sightings were fabricated to sell papers, they caught on, and people believed they were real. Fred Fedler, a professor at Iowa State University, wrote an article titled, A Journalist's Favorite Hoax, Petrifications. In it, he wrote, If journalists decide to write about a monster, for example, they tend to create a monster that was bigger, louder, and more dangerous than any of the monsters described by their rivals. When journalists create a hoax, no matter how preposterous, some readers will believe it. Moreover, other journalists will notice and reprint that story, not knowing, or perhaps not caring, that the details are fictitious. For years after that, Americans browsing through old newspapers will find copies of it, and other media will reprint the copies. Thus, a good hoax may continue to appear and reappear for 50 or even 100 years. The Snallygaster is a perfect example of this. Even today, it's difficult to disentangle fact from fiction. For instance, there's no consensus on whether or not Teddy Roosevelt actually wanted to hunt the Snallygaster. Uh, I think either Teddy Roosevelt was making light of the Snallygaster stories, um, there's a possibility, you know, he had heard the Snallygaster stories, or there's another possibility that he did, Teddy Roosevelt had not heard about the Snallygaster and that the papers were kind of capitalizing on Teddy's popularity uh, and injected, you know, him into the Snallygaster story, which really makes perfect sense, as I mentioned, because he, he was uh, a famous hunter even at the time. Uh, so an interesting aside is um, a lot of the animal specimens at the Smithsonian Institution today are war ones killed by Teddy Roosevelt on that African trip that he took after leaving office. But the fact it was made up did not stop the Snallygaster from returning. After laying dormant for 23 years, the Middletown Valley Register ran a new headline on November 11, 1932. The alarming article read, Strange monster mystifies and alarms South Mountain section. The report claimed that multiple people in South Mountain had seen a monster flying over the region. In the article, they said a scientist claimed, it takes 20 to 25 years for one of these eggs to hatch. And if such is the case, this could easily be an offspring of the Go Devil, which was seen in this section in 1909. Stories of the Snallygaster in the 1932 run uh, get less fanciful and um, significantly more frightening than in the 1909 run. And the city of Frederick is the county seat of Frederick County. And even then, it was uh, much different than the rest of the county where the Snallygaster stories had originated. Uh, Frederick had factories and shops and row houses. Uh, so when reports of the Snallygaster came to the city of Frederick, it took on a much more like an urban legend flair. Uh, instead of flying over farmland and swooping down to eat chickens, the Snallygaster was seen scaling fences and peering through bedroom windows. 
it was much more threatening and menacing, uh, more akin to something we'd see in a modern horror movie. While there was a run of these stories, they had abruptly ended on December 12th, when the Register declared the Snallygaster had died. They claimed that the Snallygaster had been attracted to the fumes coming off a 2,500-gallon vat of moonshine. But as it flew by, the fumes caused it to pass out mid-flight, plunging into the hot mash. Its entire body was consumed. George T. Danforth and Charles E. Chuchwa, two Prohibition officers, were the ones to eventually discover the remains after the five moonshiners who ran the operation fled the state. Due to the large amount of lye in the mixture, the Snallygaster's skin had been completely eaten away, leaving only its skeleton. The Prohibition officers, in an effort to permanently rid the area of the monster, gathered 500 pounds of dynamite and blew the vat and what was left of the Snallygaster sky high. Of course, the Snallygaster's death by moonshine was no coincidence. In 1932, Franklin D. Roosevelt, cousin of previous Snallygaster hunter Teddy Roosevelt, was running for president. At the Democratic National Convention that year, FDR pledged to end prohibition. The, the Valley Register publishers, Charles Maine and Edward Leiter, they were big supporters of upholding prohibition. So uh, they feared that a repeal of the 18th Amendment wasn't far behind, uh, which of course it wasn't. And uh, the paper was filled with pro-prohibition pieces. And uh, it was time to unleash the Snallygaster to uh, take on another social evil in their eyes. The death of the fantastic creature ended up being in vain, as on December 5th, 1933, the 21st Amendment was ratified, allowing the manufacture and sale of alcohol. Even though it had died, the Snallygaster kept appearing throughout the years. As Roswell, New Mexico was reporting that there was a flying saucer recovered at a crash site in July 1947, the Baltimore Sun ran an article with the headline, Flying Saucer's Pretty Tame Beside Flying Snallygaster. Two years later, the Sun ran another op-ed piece blaming the Snallygaster for a rash of livestock mutilations in Could It Have Been the Snallygaster? The piece even said that whatever had taken the tail off a cow near Gunpowder Falls had left behind tracks described as having a center pad the size of the mouth of a water tumbler with claw marks extending out. Despite the Snallygaster being a well-known fake and political tool, the Washington Post, hot off the heels of taking down Richard Nixon, ran an article in the middle of a Bigfoot boom titled, The Grand Bicentennial Washington Post, Potomac Expedition to Darkest Maryland in Search of the Monstrous Snallygaster by Gordon Chaplin on October 10th, 1976. Gordon described the Snallygaster in a way few had heard before, saying, it is described both in Webster's Third International Dictionary and the 1935 Federal Writers Project Guide as part reptile, part bird, but those who have claimed to have seen it say it more closely resembles the Sasquatch or Bigfoot of the Northwestern rainforests. Like the Bigfoot, the Snallygaster is said to be ape-like, much bigger than a man, and covered with shaggy hair. He went on to say, gorillas did not exist in 1856, simply because the desk-bound scientists of London and Paris said they did not exist. Snallygasters do not officially exist in 1976 for precisely the same reason. Gordon's team was hand-picked by himself. He went on to speak of each person in his article. Dick Swanson, 
for six years a Life magazine photographer in Vietnam, would be expedition photographer in charge of defense and pharmaceuticals. Brian and Danuta Lockett, the first husband and wife team to live successfully for an extended period of time in the big thicket of Texas, would handle expedition logistics and organization. Ginny Duran, the documentary filmmaker now working with Margot St. James on a cinematic study of prostitution, would oversee sound, lighting, and special effects. My wife Helen, who has studied homeopathic medicine and spiritual astrology under Isabel Hickey in Boston, agreed to act as expedition psychic and healer. In addition to the team, he got John Lutz, who in 1972 led a separate Snallygaster expedition to join them. During his 1972 expedition, he did not see it, but did produce what he claimed was the only piece of physical evidence of the Snallygaster. A pair of plaster casts made from 13-inch long, three-toed feet. Lutz believed that the Snallygaster might have extra dimensions. Lutz said, I'm not fully convinced these things have a physical existence as we understand it. We may be dealing with something from a time warp. You know, it's very strange, but people smell the same smell when a UFOs come around. I think these things can read your thoughts. You can be in the right place at the right time, but you'll never see it unless you are thinking right. Nobody was shocked when the expedition failed to produce any evidence of the Snallygaster. And it sort of reads like a cross between Joseph Conrad's Hearts of Darkness and a Wes Anderson movie. It's very absurd, um, kind of in the vein of Hunter S. Thompson's gonzo journalism. So again, you read the article in context, it's clearly some sort of satire. Um, it's, it's playful, it's fun, it's bizarre. So it was all very sort of 1970s. Um, and I, you read the article in context and it's a, there's elements of the Watergate scandal and new age religion and gonzo journalism. Um, and it, it's all kind of meshed together into this, you know, fun, absurd article. No, I, I think it is misinterpreted as not being satire, uh, probably quite often, because as we were talking about before, most of these stories exist out of context eventually, right? So Gordon Chaplin goes on a Snallygaster expedition in 1976, and it's funded by the, you know, the Washington Post. And that's, that becomes the story that most people read. It just becomes part of Snallygaster lore. So the idea that it was this satirical article, which is a great piece, I've read it in full, kind of gets lost, I think. But, but maybe that's not such a terrible thing. To this day, the Snallygaster remains a part of the culture of the area. Founded in 2011, the Snallygaster Beastly Beer Jamboree has grown each and every year to the point where it is now Washington, D.C.'s largest beer fest, with tickets named The Basilisk and The Kraken, and 400 breweries taking part. The Snallygaster also makes an appearance in the popular video game series Fallout 76. But no matter what form the Snallygaster takes, and no matter how outlandish the stories become, the Snallygaster will be there. And in these turbulent times, who is to say that there isn't an egg lodged somewhere in Frederick County, just one new cycle away from hatching? Do you know any other legends with a political underbelly? 
Tell us about them on our Twitter and Instagram at strange underscore phenom and on Facebook at strange phenomenon, all one word. Please give us a review and subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. Visit www.strange-phenomenon.com for a full list of sources and more episodes. Strange Phenomenon is hosted by Ray Torara. It's written and produced by R.J. Blake and Ray Torara. Theme music by Tara Monk. A special thanks to Patrick Boynton for sharing his insights and knowledge with us. His book, Snallygaster, The Lost Legend of Frederick County, is available for purchase on Amazon.com. Also thanks to Graham Plowman for allowing us to use his music. You can listen to more of his music at www.grahamplowman.com. Additional music provided by Chad Crouch, Sergei Karamizanov, LG17, Kevin Hartnell, and Maiden. Links to the artist's websites are available in the show notes.